Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. We talked about it before we got on mic. A lot of changes. I can only imagine the differences from when you first started getting going in it to how it is now. Yeah, it's been pretty big. Um, you know, we're we're beyond um, uh, ads on the back of horse and carriages, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, during that period of time, it was a big, interesting experience to be managing clients and seeing the digital age happen. And our clients weren't necessarily ready, so you, you're starting to realize that a lot of these young people do things and know more than you did, even though they're they're a lot younger. There's gonna be a lot of stuff to to, to dive deeper into the changes. I'm just very intrigued by. That, that window of time. Uh, one thing, and we'll get into your story. How much has the verbiage on the marketing changed from when you first started, right? Because our attention spans have got shorter and shorter. Has that yeah. changed in your marketing pieces? Uh, sure. Uh, there's a couple of things. One, I, I just saw something recently. You know, when, when I was at Coke, there was a thing called, and when you were planning media, they called it effective reach. That means you had to hit somebody three times in order for them to get the message. That is now, uh, the, the effective reach is six times because there's just so many things going on. You need to uh, pound it more. Um, but there's an awful lot of changes. And what you find is, is, and as we all know, every day, at least once a week, there's a new app, a new marketing program. There's a new thing. Thing coming out it's very hard to keep up with um but the consumer themselves are getting deluged when you say three compared to six and what kind of time frame is that uh usually within a 30-day period that's the way i remember it. wow okay that's a lot well let's 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 rewind let's uh let's talk about a, a young jim who was a young jim uh, well, you know, I, um, I'm uh, really into music, but I, uh, I went to Fairfield University and I got in as a, I, uh, I'm good at numbers and I enjoyed numbers. So I got in as a math major, but I was much more interested at 18 years old in girls, uh, guitars and good times. So by the end of uh, first semester, um, calculus, I almost, I was in pretty big trouble. So I called up my dad the first day of second semester and said, I can't do this. And he suggested marketing. So, um, uh, so I've been doing it since I've been 18 and a quarter and uh the beauty of it is i love marketing is because it is it is really a, a disciplined approach to problem solving and you can also by problem solving you can also be very creative so i kind of have a little bit of both i've always felt of the right brain left brain and uh so i started in research which was great because I was I was numbers oriented and I like to be able to prove things. And then I, I wanted to get onto the, the marketing side. And what's interesting is people think of marketing, they think of it being advertising. And you know, you hire an ad agency, particularly in the old days, you hired them because they were creative. And even today, most agencies will say what we want to do and particularly the creative team, is we just want to do great work. And as a researcher, numbers guy, and a marketing guy, my point of view, and I think the reason I was successful, and in particular our agency, because we were three former clients, was successful, is we want to do great work that works great. And so it's very results driven. And uh, But as part of that whole thing, you get trained very well early on. I was very fortunate uh, to have great, great bosses. And I worked in, in, a, in with a lot of consumer packaged goods people and the Procter & Gamble types. And they really, Procter & Gamble kind of in, invented brand management and really analyzing a business and figuring out how to market properly to the right target and positioning things. So I was fortunate to have some great bosses and great experiences that taught me two things. One is how to think and structure my thinking. 
And to do that, you need to be able to communicate well. And so I, for a long time, have used the phrase to write is to think. And I, I think it's a big factor. And what I will talk about, uh, unless you have any other questions, is is I think that's a big you know, the thing that's broken now is there's not a lot of that going on uh, with young people coming out of college. All right. Well, there's a lot of nuggets and a lot of things to take away from that. Let me let me rewind back to the one of the, sure. the beginning statements. What did your what, what was your your father's background? Very interesting. Uh Yes, it's, it's. I usually talk about him a little bit. He just passed away last year, 12 days shy of 94. So he had a great life. Um, he was a, um, he ended up, and I didn't know this until I was about 10 or 12. And I looked up on the wall and I saw my dad talking at a podium. And I said to my mother, what is, or I found the picture. I said, what is this? She goes, oh, that's when he was valedictorian at St. John's. And I was like, oh, um, he only talked about his high school. He went in New York. He, wore, he went to Brooklyn Tech. And I don't know whether you know anything about the high schools in New York, but there's a few very hard to get into um, public schools. And one of them is Brooklyn Tech, very, you know, uh, engineering and math oriented and stuff. So he got in and he loved it. And he talked about it. He left the money when he passed away. It's a public school. He left the money because he felt it trained them how to think. And so that was his foundation. And he, but he ended up after coming back from the occupation of Japan, he went and he was work. He worked for Lever Brothers for 43 years. So he was in packages. He worked in the logistics, uh, logistics and the uh, manufacturing side. But he had an M, uh, MBA from NYU. And, uh, you know, it was the classic situation. We got home and at 6.05 every night when he walked in the door, he five minutes later, he walked out. We sat down. We had dinner. And he did what you hear about in the old traditional ways. We'd talk about the world and he'd talk about working with business and he'd talk about being nice to everybody and respectful to everybody that you meet. And, um, and that's who he was. And so he, and he was such a great supporter of mine over the years. So I do miss him. Now you talked about it when you weren't I mean, really into schooling and it sounds like he had a, a strong background in schooling was it. And he, it, it, you, you almost said it that, he didn't really try to push you to stay in school. Like he kind of made it jokingly, you should get into to marketing. Oh, I had to stay at school. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, okay. He, we, we were just talking about it. So what, there were two reasons for that. One is that would have been not acceptable. He said from the very beginning, you get one, one college uh, to choose from. You're not going to be switching around colleges. You can change majors if necessary. Uh, and I didn't want to leave. College was great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why would I want to leave? So, so he, he just guided you into kind of being something more exciting, something that maybe. Well, you know what he said to me, his comment was, and he was in the package goods business. So his comment was, you're very creative. You're, you like to speak with people. You like to talk. I've always been in theater and those kind of things. And he said, the people that run the package goods companies where I work, they're the ones, the marketing people are the ones that become the president. And I said, mm -hmm. okay, I'll do that. So he gave me great advice. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And then from there, so you're you're now are you starting to find a love in marketing as you kind of transition into that uh, major? Oh, yeah. I, you know, um, I went to Fairfield U in Connecticut and, um, you know, it was a smaller school than it is now. Uh, but I got really strong 
um, general, I think, general liberal arts. You know, it's a Jesuit school, and they really they pound upon you um, disciplined thinking and critical thinking. So, regardless of what course I was in, uh, we learned how to do that pretty well. Uh, the marketing courses, in fact, uh, the head of the marketing part was a research guy, so had a lot in common with him, and so that's one of the reasons I started in research. But I always knew I wanted the brand management side. Uh, because you're the you're kind of in charge of your brand and uh, somebody used to say you're the president of the brand but it was also you're managing the creative you're managing the uh you know you're managing the pnl you really got to do the whole thing so i think it was a great foundation i remember thinking uh, someday i'm going to have my own business even back then but i wanted to get my stripes i wanted to have done it at a big company i wanted to become a vp of marketing which i was able to do uh before i switched over what was research looking like back then was it more boots on the ground i mean i'm i mean now i'm guessing there's a lot more computer intake a lot more data that's kind of given to you back then was it oh yeah it's all computers now but uh back in the day i actually my first job was uh, a subsidiary of a, one of the top 15 i think uh, research firms in the country and where i worked was called central location testing do you know what central location testing means shopping malls <laughs> and so we would uh, and everything was hand and i worked there over the summers so i learned how to uh listening to the uh the, the nixon hearings i would i would you know do the sampling by taking a phone book from ohio every 19 pages flipping over and cutting out you know 20 names and putting it on a piece of paper it was all hand done and then you'd go out and you'd have people in shopping malls attract people to come in sit in our room take this survey so that was one way the other way is you'd mail things to people or call them up now it's uh, it's so much better now it's so much easier and uh, uh, I still I was always the research guy at the agency and I I still rely on research a lot in fact I ended up probably moderate I've been in hundreds of focus groups but I probably mo uh, you know moderated about uh, 50 to 60. Well I mean being that yeah I know we'll venture back off to your story do you find there's uh, a better way of um, being in charge of a focus group and kind of moderate being being the the person that kind of guides everything yeah, I think, and I'm going to say this, this sounds obnoxious. I think most people do it wrong. And what I, because one of the problems with focus groups is two factors. One is you're concerned that if somebody's talking in the focus group and they're confident and able to talk out loud, they dominate the conversation and all the other men and women in the room, maybe one or two will talk, but the other eight stay, uh, stay silent. And so, uh, or, and the second problem is the people behind the, the uh, two-way mirror, the one-way mirror, you know that they all have different agendas on the client side and they all want to hear the things they want to hear. So it becomes, um, it's kind of a free for all and that's why they call it qualitative. So what I do when I do uh, focus groups is I try to combat both of those things. One is I have focus groups, we used to have them in the agency and now I do them sometimes in my clients' offices where we bring the people in the room and I'm in there with them. And when I'm about to show them something, I say, you're not allowed to talk. And I hand out forms and the form has several things. Give me your, you know, beside your name, this is, you know, mark which uh, piece of creative, let's say you're getting. And I want you to write down the, um, uh, the rating um, of it, you know, scale one to five. Uh, I want you to rank it. And then I want you to give me your uh, general comment. So I make everybody stay silent. They write it down. Then I want them to keep it. And then when I call on them, they read from the sheets. So there's everybody has to go through it. And I call on everybody in the room. Then they hand them in. And I do that. If I do that twice a night, 
let's say 10 people a focus group because I would stuff them in because we had big conference rooms and we'd have 20. If we did it three times in a row, we had 60 people. Now you're starting to get taking quantitative, qualitative and almost making it quantitative. So I think I have a great solution and it also helps tell the client, I know you don't like this. I had a client one time come in when I was on uh, Greenpoint Bank and they had a little dog as the as that used to be in the business and I, we put it back in the ads. And he said to me, he just came in, he replaced the new guy and he says, what's with the dog? And so I, he, he wanted to do research and when it was done, he goes, all right, all right, we'll keep Skippy. How, how often, I mean, if people are reading what they have um, on their questionnaire and they hear someone in front of them say something contradicting, do they ever sway away from what they have written or change what they have written or does not really, really i think it gave it gives all of them the ability and you know what by the time you get around the room what they find is, is they're not the only ones who feel that way um mm -hmm. but by me being the moderator and saying I, I i just want you to read what you wrote nobody's right nobody's wrong i want to hear what the majority thinks and so by the time you finish you get quantitative results and it's and it's been extremely successful now let's go back to to your story. So you're doing research. You're moving from company to company. How long down that path of being in the business before you started looking at it? I want to start my own thing. Uh, let me see. I graduated in '76, uh, and we started MME in January of 1990. So about 14 years. And uh, so I had gone. I started out in a small supplier where I'd worked in the summers. I went to Laurel Art Tobacco, which I, I still wince at because I never smoked. And I look back on it now with dismay. Uh, but then I wanted to get out of cigarettes. And I went down to Atlanta and worked at Coca-Cola. I started out on Mellow Yellow, then uh, Sprite. And then I was on the, the, the uh, brand Coke. When What I learned is that everybody in the building was the brand manager on Coke. So it was a great experience in a, an enormous bureaucracy where I didn't really have any power. Uh, but I, I was able to come to some incredible meetings with very, very smart people and able to speak my mind. So that was cool. Um, and then I came back to uh, the wine and spirit business, became a VP of marketing at an importer. And after three years, I said, I got to get out of here. So I went over to a Saatchi division. That was actually our promotion uh, agency. And I said to the owner, I'd like to eventually start my own business, but I'd love to get here. And they needed somebody on the Miller business. I was there about I don't know, four to six months and there was an opening. And so I took over being president of that division. And then uh, was given another division to run, which in the old days, they called it Intermark. They were the battery operated computers on displays. So I worked on that. And uh, after three years there, um, I had two of the guys that worked with me. The three of us got together, had similar backgrounds, all former client guys. They were in my team on the consumer promotion side. We started with three guys, uh, 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 three desks, uh, three walls, one window, and a broken IBM selector type. And uh, when I retired, we had 36 people on Park Avenue and 20th, and uh, uh, they're still there. But, um, you know, one of the best business decisions I made was starting. The second best uh, 27 years later was retiring. I, you know, I had done what I needed to do and I wanted to do other things. Because you bounce around so frequently, do you think it made it easier for you to start your own business? Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe, I guess. The, the hardest thing I ever had to do was leave. But... Um, but the that was a big decision. But, you know, I think that's pretty common in the marketing business. You sure. you work for three years. I, I was not a once a year and then move on, except that first job. But, um, you know, I was usually someplace three years until I got to MME and then I was there 27. Do you 
do you think, I mean, because you said it, it, it happens so frequently that you're jumping around, do you think for, if you were, I mean, I guess maybe for people at your company, right? The company that you were previously at that you owned, is there something that you would do to make people not stay there for just three years, but try to stay there for four years, five years, or is it just customary? Well, we actually had, uh, I, I would just say we were unique in several facts. Uh, one is that we uh, were three clients, former client side guys, very few agencies were that. The second thing is the creative director that's still there, and he's, I'd say, you know, mid, late 40s. Uh, mid to late forties. Uh, he got out of college and he's still there. Um, yeah. And uh, he, uh, you know, so we had incredibly long tenured clients. They still have um, uh, some clients. Uh, you know, when I was there, we had clients that were over, over 20 years. So now they're over 30 years old. So they probably have some of those too. So um, we had great tenure for clients and that there were a core group of people that stayed with us a very long time. But as time went on, the junior people used to think they'd stay 12 to two months to 24 months. And by the time I was leaving, some of them were leaving in eight, nine months, just, you know, and we weren't the top payers. You know, we were a small agency. So they were getting on. But now people move around every every nine months. It's it's, uh, it's not good for them. It's not good for the companies, but it's not good for them either. So what do you how do you change as a owner of a company? I mean, if someone's listening and they're starting a, a, a I mean, a business in a, a field where there's heavy turnover, how do you do that? How do you because train training these people, getting them on board takes time, takes money. I mean, so what's that process like? Well, I, you know, I I haven't had to do that that much. I think what we find is, is I always felt and when I retired the day I left, I, I gave a little talk and I said to them, one of the things that I think is MME's greatest legacy is the amount of people that have come through here that grew early on and then moved on. So I think you need to give them opportunities. But like any company, we were still small. We serviced, our, we kept our clients so long because we serviced the hell out of them. And uh, therefore, the senior people that were up there, they were kind of a roadblock. So we were, we kind of took into account that they had to move. Um, if you're going to be small, it's going to be hard to keep promoting them. Um, so what you want to do is train them well enough to um, and give them enough money that they stay long enough. And you need to be constant. That's why I'm so sensitive to young people getting out of school, because every year, several times a year, we're hiring half a dozen and we're only 36 people because you had to keep filling the, the bottom of the bucket because it was just reality. And I don't blame these people for moving on. I just think they should have stayed 12, 12 to 24 months. It would have been easier. Because every time that happens, it's everybody knows it's a um, particularly if you, you know, we're busy and we have a key person on and they're good and they're working on an account. But there were times we would give them more money. But at a certain point, once they decide to go, it's probably best for them. And, we, you know, we don't like to be I wouldn't like to be held up. So are you constantly interviewing then for new not people? anymore? Okay, <laughs> I left five years ago. No, but I mean for them for when you were at the company, is that? Oh yeah, we were we were interviewing all the time, and we split the business in terms of running that we each had our own accounts, but we split the business three ways. We had okay. uh, one guy took IT, one guy took finance, and I drew the short straw. I got HR, so I was oh. always uh, I was always interviewing people and and laying out all those things. Um, and it's it was a, a bummer. Now, if it was on somebody else's account and it was a, uh, you know, the creative director usually would handle the creative people. But they and all three of us always interviewed everybody. And for the most part, I'd say we did a very good job at it. Every now and then one of us would disagree with the other. And for the most part, most people turned out pretty well. Every now and then um, you'd find somebody that you go on. That was a bad hire. 
And then what was what was the the trigger? Or when was the thought process of actually leaving the company? Well, that was hard. I, you know, I was getting to the point where um, we each had different styles and different types of accounts. I found myself always being hired by the small to medium sized businesses that wanted me to be sort of their outsourced CMO. So that was a a, a much more task oriented thing as opposed to having stuff and making money on commissions on media and all those things. That was part one. Uh, part two is uh, I, I had a, you know, uh, let's say I had a toxic client and I was just getting tired of the whole thing and uh, decided that I had all these other things I wanted to do. I wanted to start another business. I wanted to play more music. I, I, I drove in and out of the city every day. And so I was you know, I was at my desk at 7.30 most days and I wasn't leaving until 7.15, 7.30 uh, at night. So, and then you'd be on calls on the way home. So it was time for me to move on. And uh, it was a two-year decision, but I once I made it, I was very comfortable with it. Did you know what you would do next after you left the business? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had started a little, in fact, uh, uh, you asked where I live. I'm a big fan of Long Island. I think it has an amazing uh, amazing people and amazing geography and so many things. The only thing we really don't have here on Long Island is skiing, but um, which is okay. And um, I, I created a brand around Long Island called Love the Island. And uh, I always looked at the island and said it's a fish. So I still have the logo. I now use it on my uh, my uh, my band. So uh, and I haven't killed the uh, the other brand. It's just I don't work on it anymore. And then when did the idea of kind of putting some books together? about well it actually started in the early 2000s two things happened one is i read who moved my cheese i assume you've heard of that book it was uh you know great great and it was a you know being a fable that was a uh very simple story that communicated a very core fact things change you need to learn how to adapt and so i love that and uh so that I said to myself, if I ever wrote a book, I'd write something like that because business books can be a little dull. And then I started noticing in the early 2000s that the younger grads we were hiring once we hired them and they were we always vetted them well. They had good they had internships, which wasn't always the case in the early days. Um, they had good GPAs. They were at least marketing um, or communication majors. But I found that they were struggling writing some basic things. And I always ended up saying, OK, look. Here's a typical marketing briefing document. We, you know, in the P&G days, you had to get something like this down to one page. Not that I worked there, but I would hear about it all the time. And so I was trained to do that kind of thing by my boss, who I'll talk about in a moment. And um, so I would, I kept saying, let's, let's create this, you know, let's use this 10-step thing. And I would work with them on it because it's great for writing and structuring your thinking and figuring out what to do. But it's also the foundation for being able to communicate it both in writing, but also then take that and transition it to a presentation. So I would sit, you know, everybody says, oh, you know, it's nerve wracking to to, uh, you know, I've been presenting my whole life. I like it. Uh, it's nerve wracking to present. Well, it's more nerve wracking to not be the presenter and have a, you know, 24, 25 year old, very, you know, smart, aggressive, good person up there that you've trained. They're they're going to do it now because that's the process. You've got to let them do it. And um, it was very rewarding when they did well. Hmm. So, you know, I saw that. And so now let me uh, fast forward. And I started writing this 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 idea. If I'm going to do something, maybe I'll tackle that. That was 20, 2005, 2006. I couldn't get to it. And when I retired in 2016, that was one of the other things I wanted to do. And uh, at in the early days, back in when I first thought of it, there was no research on that. I, it was just my gut feel. 
And when I retired, I found that there were three major studies, and that was really the spark that I have found since 2016, that uh, between seven, uh, 50 and 75% of managers feel that young people cannot problem solve, think critically, or communicate particularly in writing. So I was like, oh, it's not me. And these were some pretty big studies. This was pay scale. Uh, they were 60,000 managers, 2,000 uh, students. Um, there were uh, inside higher ed and in the American Association of Colleges and Universities. And there's been more studies and articles based upon those. But that was part A of the, the problem. Part B of the problem was 80% of the students rated themselves as proficient. So you've got this big skills gap. Managers don't think you're any good. That sounds terrible, but you know what I mean? They, they think you have issues and the students think they're fine. Uh, so, you know, what I realized clearly something isn't working. I mean, people are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on college. They're getting out and they can't do. Uh, and that's another thing. These managers saying the two most important skills you need to be able to do is problem solving and communication. And they, a lot of them would say, I'd take those two skills, a candidate with those, really good at those skills over somebody that had the hard skills because I can teach them hard skills. So I looked at that and said, well, I've been doing the soft skills for a long time. Um, so I ended up trying to do that. Now, that's the problem. The, the uh, impact of that problem is companies are spending almost $400 billion a year on mistakes due to poor communication. That's an enormous number. And so you take, that's a financial number. Think about the impact that is on the people in the organization. The stress goes up, the morale goes down, people are fighting with each other, they're blaming each other. It's really a reputations get ruined. And so, so that's a major issue. And now what are corporations having to do? They're having to spend $3 billion to provide remedial training in communication for these smart people that got out of college and did well in school that can't do some of the, the core basics. Where do you think that disconnect is coming from? Where do you think uh, that change for the young people is coming from? I think what's happening, and I am I am not an educator and I'm not blaming anybody. I think it's the entire system. But what I have learned is, uh, first of all, I found a study back in 2011. It's called the National Writers Pro uh, Report, the nation's report card, specifically about writing. And they measured four different age groups, eighth graders, 12th graders, freshmen in college and seniors. And they rated them on a four point scale. And it was below basic, basic, proficient and above proficient. And of course you want to be at least proficient. Well, eighth and 73% of the eighth and 12th graders were rated below proficient. When they got to be freshmen, they were 60%, but still six out of 10 uh, below proficient. And by seniors, still four in 10 were not proficient. So what's the reason for that? Well, it, what's happening is I think technology, as good as it is, I think we're, we're training people to um, answer, memorize, answer questions, do it quickly on a, um, on a computer, you know, the, 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 you know pick, pick which one you select, multiple choice. And as much as people say, well, I wrote a ton in school, they're not practicing a lot. And one study showed that 50% of graduates said they had less than five classes. Now there's 40 classes over four years, right? Less than five classes that had le five classes that had less than 20 pages that they wrote in the class. It, they're just not writing it anymore. And, and if you, you think about it, everybody says we need to read. And of course, I would never say anything against reading, but to write, is where you really need to think. Reading is passive. Somebody's already done the hard work. 
to write, you have to think it through. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And I just don't think there's enough practice to do that. And let's face it, we all talk, we all think. So there isn't this, there isn't this need. Well, you know, I play golf and so does Tiger Woods, but he's a little bit better than I am. Uh, in fact, almost everybody's better than I am. So, um, you know, you, you need to, to work at it. I work at writing every single day. 45 years later, I'm, I was writing the presentation for my client tomorrow. I spent hours on it this morning because I'm like, this isn't right. I keep refining it. I just don't think there is that aspect of it. Do you think it's a want or is it more of the systems? I mean, like when you get a, get your, your hands on these these younger kids, these younger people, is there a want to actually – uh, expand on that knowledge of learning how to write and being creative with it, or is it more of uh, it's easier for me to just? I, I don't want to comment on the the, the, the uh, uh, a generation's lack of wanting to. I just don't think they've uh, they have been made to realize the importance of it. Okay. So how do you? And I, I know you're you're working on your second book right now. It's how it's, do you keep, it's in copyright. Yeah, copyright. How how do you keep getting the message out there? How do you keep on getting people to to pick it up, read it, and understanding the process? Okay, well, a couple of things. One is I only I launched less than four weeks ago, so I've been working on this for many many years, and I think it was uh, January twelfth that I actually went live on on Insta on uh, Amazon. So uh, I'm in that process now. I'm very happy with the first uh, you know the first wave, and uh, the, now the Amazon reviews are coming in, and I'm I'm actually humbled by them. They're very very positive, uh, but there are you know there are people who said it's kind of juvenile because. Um, you know, my objective is to uh, help people learn how to, and I'm going to, this is going to sound weird, but my objective is to help young people learn how to rap. And, and by rap, I mean to be respected, to be admired and be promoted. And if you can, if you can communicate and you can think clearly and do that well, those, you'll learn how to rap. So what I've done is I've created a book called Get Your Ducks in a Row, and it's to learn how to think, write, present, and sell. That's the first one. What I've done is taken the first, uh, that, that marketing briefing document I was telling you about, and I've taken those 10 steps and I've put a story around it. Now, I could have made this a, uh, a text. Uh, I could have made it a blog post or a tweet. But it would have had it would have come and gone in the ethos, right? So I made it a book, and but I didn't want. I've read the top six business writing books. I've 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 purchased the top selling business communication textbook. It's six hundred pages. Every single one of these things are brilliant, written by smart people, and if you do exactly what they say, they're all helpful. The problem is when you're a manager and you just hired somebody and you need them to be productive yesterday. You can't hand them this big thing. So what I wanted to do is create a practical teaching tool that gave them the idea. And then, okay, on one piece of paper, you can now use these 10 steps. Now you understand it, you can fill it out. So that's where I started with book one. And um, I wanted it to be sort of a practical teaching tool. And by making it a fable, so that was the big thing. I borrowed that tactic from Who Moved My Cheese. And so it is a book 
that is about ducks in business and, and how they go through the process. And it's a young duck who becomes, gets in the marketing department and he meets his boss. Now, I mentioned before I wanted to say something about my boss. My, one of the best, my mentor still is, still a very good friend. She was a brilliant woman, went to, grew up in the Bronx, went to Sarah Lawrence University and then London School of Economics and then got her master's, a dual master's uh, in marketing and finance from Columbia. And I had the good fortune to become her um, assistant brand person at a great time in my life and hers. And her name is Connie Humphrey. In the book, she's Connie Duckfree. And so I met her. I'm Yum Dappy, and I meet her, and she trains me on this process after I went through all the mechanizations of getting it wrong. And so I teach that story so that somebody can read it. It's 110 pages, lots of uh, visuals, and in an hour, you have a, a quick little foundation of what you need to do and write out the 10 steps. So that was part A. Part B was, and then I finished and I went, I wanted to say this and this and this and this, and I wanted to teach them this. So I started putting an appendix in and sooner or later the appendix became bigger, bigger than book one. And so I created a second book and I needed something. I was trying to communicate everything I've learned in 45 years, in particular, the business cycle of, and as a you know person who goes in and deals with the CEO, what's that cycle that you go through in business? So I said, you know what? I need a brand theme behind this, still under the umbrella of Get Your Ducks in a Row. So I created the ADAPTER method. An ADAPTER is an acronym that stands for Analyze, Deduce, Author, Perform, Tackle, Evaluate, and Refine. And that's the cycle of business. So in each one of those chapters, I, um, you know, this time Connie goes to Columbus Duck University and tells one of the big auditoriums and she gives them a presentation of how they should learn the adaptive method. And I think between these two books, um, young people will, will learn how to wrap. First of all, they'll learn how to structure their thinking. And by doing that, if they write more, they're going to learn how to communicate better. And if they do that, then they're going to be able to think on their feet and then they're going to be able to become respected and admired and promoted. Where do you take it next, Jim? I mean, let's say in the next five years, what do you plan to do? Is it another book? Is it speaking engagements? I mean, what do you plan to? Well, step one is I need to uh, I need to get book two out. And um, what I actually the first my my target audience isn't my direct target audience is not necessarily the young people that that uh, needed because I don't think they're going to be looking on Amazon for a business writing book and buying it. My target audience number one are these managers. So it's a B2B sale. So what happened when I launched the book, you know, I've been, been around a long time, have a lot of friends and LinkedIn contacts and I've had a lot of clients and associates. And I've had several sales guys contact me and say, uh, can this help me with my team? Um, and so what I'm, my, what I'm in the process of doing now is for bulk sales, which is the goal, is creating sort of a training packet around uh, the two books with uh, materials, maybe a video from me. How do you present it to your team? So I think hopefully by the time, um, hopefully the book will be available in April. And by the time that happens, that's part A, which is a full core press to the B2B market to try and get people to, um, you know, embrace this book and bring it in and use it as a training tool in their organizations. And I, I don't know that I'll get the big ones, but I think there's a lot of smaller companies that maybe don't have a HR training department that I think this can be helpful with. Down the road, I, I mean, I don't mind speaking. I'd be uh, delighted to do that, but I'm, I'm also not looking to spend, you know, 40 weeks a year on the road. So right now it's kind of just more 
a hyper focus on, on the book, see how how that adapts, see who who your uh, user is, and then kind of from there, kind of assess what's next. Yeah, and I think um, there's a big difference between this and my e-commerce business. E- the e-commerce business, I bought a lot of inventory. It's still in the garage. My li- my wife would love you to take one. Um, and it was pretty limited to uh, Long Island. This is an issue that's around the world. Um, and and frankly, I'm surprised and, and delighted at some of the people. I had a, uh, a guy that's a super, super bright guy, uh, works in a pharmaceutical company uh, in the pricing department, very analytical guy. And he responded, I loved it. And he said, I'm going to send it to my colleagues. And I'm like, well, that's great. That's very nice. Two days later, I get a, a LinkedIn invite from somebody in his team saying, hi, I'd like to say hello. Um, since he recommended it, I've bought the book. I'll let you know how I like it. So I think some of the categories of, um, you know, the fields people are in, communication isn't what they do a lot. So this kind of book seems to be helping them too. So, you know, when I first started it, I thought I was just teaching people how to write. And the when I sent it out to about a dozen people who I said, give me a read and tell me whether you think I'm nuts. One, one very smart, good friend of mine, still a good friend, said I think it's juvenile. But everybody else, I had people tell me, you're not just thinking them, teaching them how to write, you're teaching them how to think and plan and structure your thinking. So, um, you know, uh, I'm sure you've heard of Seth Godin. I, I listen to him all the time and I give him credit for giving me the courage to do this and recognizing you're not going to help. You're not going to be right for everybody. But if I can find that minimum viable audience, I'm good. <clears throat> One of my last questions I kind of want to ask is you said a good friend, right? read the book and said it was a little juvenile yeah do you how do you take that criticism i, I know you said it's not for everyone yet i mean you you've, you've talked about it multiple times that you put basically your 45 years of knowledge into this book and to be have a comment where it's juvenile for someone that you you trust that yeah. has to still play out your ego a little bit oh look i'm human so did i like it no but I had, I'd say, I think maybe it was 10 people I sent it to. I had one, let's say, uh, on a scale of one to five, five being greatest. I had one one <laughs> with a comment that it was Jewish. I had several that were positive, let's say threes and fours. And I had probably four that were over the moon about it. And so as a marketing guy, I said, I'm okay with that. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have sleepless nights. I will tell you that when I first launched it, and I didn't hear anything uh, that was concerning. And then people weren't getting back to me that I knew had purchased it. Uh, and I'm like, oh, they hated it. My wife's looking at me saying that wasn't their first priority today was to buy your book and sit down and read it. So she was, as always, is right after 43 years. So um, I'm, you know, uh, I'm, I'm encouraged every day. Uh, but you need to, you know, you need to have a tough skin. But at this point, uh, I've got a pretty tough skin. If people are listening right now and they want to learn how to rap, as you yeah. say, uh, yeah. what's the best way of them finding their finding the book and finding more information about yourself? Uh, go to my website. It's uh, jimrowmarketing.com. It's J-I-M and not just the regular row, R-O-W-E, marketing.com. Uh, I split the, right before I launched, I split the website from purely my agency business to 50-50. And uh, so right on the homepage, you'll find it. And uh, there, this is where I'll, I have podcasts up there with, now they're starting to go live. I'll be putting yours up. And then uh, this one up. And then uh, the contact page, you can either, it sends you to the Amazon page if you want one, or I have a, a bulk discounting rates there as well. 
Well, thank you, Jim, for being there. Uh, all that information is in the show notes, so please go find Jim. I'm going to leave you this very last question, Jim. Is there any feedback or any words that you might say differently to your younger self when they were parting it up in college, not really finding their their way, and then kind of guided into marketing? Is there any kind of words that you might have added that your father didn't add? Well, I don't think it would have changed me then. Um, but if you screw up your freshman year, you're not going to have a good GPA. So, um, you know, if you wanted to get into something that required a very strong GPA, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I could have um, gotten into some of the companies I got into with my GPA because, I mean, I didn't do very well. I, I stayed in the school freshman year. That's about it. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I did well my junior senior year, but you can't make that up. So you, you have to th think long and hard about whether you uh, balance uh, partying. Um, and I liked to party in those days. I still do, but, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I would say don't, don't screw up freshman year. It's important every year. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jim, for, for being here. Thank you. Know, you finding that be like Jim, find the balance of partying <laughs> and work. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, please subscribe. Please share. Go find uh, Jim's book. It's in the show notes right there. Uh, make today. Thank you for listening Thanks. to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.